What's the thing where they like confront the person? An intervention. This is an intervention. intervention. Yeah. So Jeremy, you're just here to soften the blow. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. And Peter's like, well, there was this time and this time and this other time. I'm the setup guy. And then Peter just knocks yeah. down. We're all your friend. We don't keep track of what you've done wrong. Peter, Actually, on the other hand. I, but just in case, here's a list. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, protector and restorer of sacred Christmas traditions. <laughs> well, I feel like it's we're just so lucky to be in the same place, Sean, because... Yeah? Do you have a similar occupation <laughs> this I mean, Christmas? <laughs> I'm I'm co-host Jeremy, and I never forget a tradition. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, as I was writing mine, my first thought was, oh, Jeremy's going to mine the same well. And then my second thought was, good thing I'm going first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Merry Christmas to you, Sean. <laughs> As the person who always goes third, I'm always expecting someone else to get there before I do, but Merry Christmas to me, that did not happen, and I'm co-host Peter Cook, and you might remember I recently talked about my new company, Peter Cook's Toy Division. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were some kinks we were working out with stuff shipping too fast and getting damaged in the process. Well, yes. just in time (laughs) for the holiday season, we got things figured out. And I'm ready to talk about what Peter Cook's toy division manufactures. What are you manufacturing? Well, Jeremy, I'm glad you asked. We are marketing (laughs) cardboard cutouts of Michael Jordan that attach onto toy electric trains. Oh, I know just the customer for you. Do you now? Yeah. Kevin McAllister? (laughs) That's right. That sounds like there's someone else here for Christmas. Is that Santa? No, it's Taylor Rowley, your special guest. (laughs) Probably a more likely option as a guest than Santa Claus. I mean, let's be honest here. This is our number one guest. Oh, thank you. Triumphant return. You all know her and love her. Um, Yes. Uh, Again, I am Taylor Rowley, and I'm what the French call les incompetents. Oh, wow. you You got it. You got cultural on us there. Well, it's a re- it's a reference to something we'll be talking about later, but yeah, deep 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 Home Alone cuts, I guess. Mm-hmm. You got pop cultural on us. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to our Christmas special, twenty twenty two, Taylor. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're gonna get we're gonna get into what bargain bin Christmas knowledge you brought eventually, but it sounds like we're gonna start with the tradition of Sean. Going first with his selection. And you don't mess with tradition or forget it ever. (laughs) (laughs) Not once, not ever. It's always been the same. And I'm going to go first. I've got, 
I've got a cool record, guys. I've got some. We we can talk about some fun things in relation to this record. It is Hank Crawford with his thirteenth solo album. We got a good thing going. This is from 1972, bringing back our 1972 <laughs> month for Christmas. Yeah, there's 1972 again. 50 years. 50 years. Last chance. <laughs> <laughs> so I just became aware of this record. I picked it up about two months ago. Um, it's on the Kudu label, which do we know what label that's associated with? Isn't that what the Rotary Connection album was on? Is that Cadet? Johnny no. Hammond. Oh, Johnny Hammond. Yeah. Creed Taylor, uh, CTI. Correct. If I remember right, the genre distinction was basically Kudu was supposed to be their slightly more pop-friendly stuff than the CTI catalog. But, you know, same producer, same engineer most of the time, and a lot of the same players throughout the whole CTI Kudu family label. So I picked this up because I love CTI Kudu. This is a record I didn't have before. I like Hank Crawford. Put it on, and the first few songs, I was like, man, this like kind of almost sounds like Christmas music. And then track four comes on, I'm like, this is a Christmas song. Like, what is going on here? The, nothing about the album cover says Christmas. The album title is not Christmas-themed. And unless you read every single track listed on there, you're not going to have any idea... <laughs> that he snuck some Christmas music on here. And I look at it, there's two legit Christmas songs and at least three other songs in this record that even though they're not Christmas songs, they kind of sound like they could be. It's really, it's really strange. But aside from all that, the whole record is really, really good. So I pretty much instantly was like, well, this is my Christmas pick this year for the podcast. It's gotta be. <laughs> it's still more of a Christmas album than the Beaver and Krauss was a Halloween album. <laughs> sure. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I, I don't know why I went back there again. I, I liked that album. <laughs> <laughs> Getting real bitter for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I need to change up my dog here. <laughs> okay, you guys want to hear a song? Sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to play track one, the title track off this album, which is not a Christmas song. In fact, this was originally a Michael Jackson song. I'll give just a little more backstory on it after we listen. But this is We Got a Good Thing Going, and you guys can decide for yourselves if this sounds like a Christmas song to you or not.
I can see what you mean there. That wait, was that like a? Now I'm confused. Was it a Christmas song? <laughs> <laughs> it was a Michael Jackson song. So I was right. It's got Christmas vibes, right? Yeah. Especially those like first opening string mm-hmm. arrangements, you yeah. know. And if you're not familiar with Michael Jackson's album, Ben, you might not even remember that song. It's certainly not one of his better remembered albums. Are, are any of you familiar with that Michael Jackson record? Yes, and the movie it's attached to. The, the horror movie about the rat? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which Ben is, I, yeah, Ben. <laughs> ben the rat. I thought, I remember... I'd seen the promotional images of, of, I think, Michael Jackson with like a rat Mm -hmm. for the, because he had done the song for it. And I thought it was this like endearing story about a boy and his pet rat. (laughs) Well, it kind of is for a little bit. (laughs) So I'm the only one here who hasn't seen the Ben the Rat. (laughs) Okay. So before I, before I describe it, Jeremy, what do you know about it? Anything? Does this like, have any no. cultural impact for you? No, this is all like stunning news to me. <laughs> what, what about the movie Willard? Willard. <laughs> or the know. remake starring Crispin Glover. Uh, it's not ringing a bell. Okay. <laughs> Peter or Taylor, do you want to give the, the brief rundown? I want to hear you guys describe it. <laughs> Okay, I'll take it. So, uh, Willard was a movie that came out in, I believe, just 1971. It was a horror movie about mm-hmm. a person that befriends a rat, and the rat, like, just, uh, you know, helps them. Does the rat, like, kill people? It's been so long since we've seen either of these. Like, the, the first one is just one rat, and then the second one it becomes a rat army. Is that right? <laughs> I'm definitely not an expert on these films to help yeah, you out he here. He uses the in the first one he uses the rats as um revenge. Yeah. Like befriends a rat and then the rat starts like doing nefarious stuff and it quickly like <laughs> loses the guy loses control. So I the, you, the first one was see, like a su- yeah. I wish you could see Jeremy's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving you the deep knowledge here. You're gonna know everything You're, about. These we're movies. doing a Christmas episode. <laughs> okay, so what is the, going on? So in the sequel, in the sequel, um, another lonely boy befriends the Willard's former pet rat Ben. Yeah, and then Ben creates an army of rats in the second <laughs> one. That's how they up yeah. the ante. I'm like. 90% sure about this. So anyway, the first movie was a surprise hit. So they rushed out a sequel called Ben in 1972 mm-hmm. and everyone thought it was going to be such a hit. So they got Michael Jackson, who at this point is still in the Jackson five to do a whole album about it. Does the theme song, multiple singles. And the second movie flops. The album is like a little bit more notable than the movie, but at this point is like Certainly not well-remembered in his catalog. I mean, some people know it's got some jams on it. So anyway, all that to say, it's pretty weird that Hank Crawford, the same year, just a few months after this, is like, yeah, like, I want to get on board. And names a whole album off the, like, second or third single from this Michael Jackson record based on the sequel to a horror (laughs) film. And then he decides, I should put two Christmas songs on this album. (laughs) Why not? Why not, right? <laughs> you guys want wanna... in, in 50 years, I want to bewilder Jeremy Ruggles, <laughs> is what he was thinking. 
He succeeded. You win, Hank. He did it. Also, that song was written by The Corporation, which I didn't know this tiny bit of Motown lore, but after Barry Gordy was frustrated with the the stardom of Holland Dozier Holland and the fact that they were able to leverage that stardom into making more money and then leaving, he decided to create anonymity with his production and writing team after that. So songs written for the Jackson 5 and several other bands were written by the corporation. Oh, sounds real warm. Yeah. yeah, it's real. It's a real Barry Gordy move if I've ever heard one. <laughs> also nefarious. Also very Christmas like. Is this yeah. part of your war on Christmas, Sean? Is that what's going <laughs> this on? Is... <laughs> yeah, this is uh, some deep state war on Christmas action going on right now. All right, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of bio about Hank Crawford, just real quick. Played piano in church. Would have never guessed. Took up saxophone. To join the high school band, he's featured on an early B.B. King record in 1952 alongside Ben Branch and Ike Turner. And he got famous playing with Ray Charles, joined his band in 1958, left in 1963. Initially, he was the saxophone player and then became the band leader. In fact, his first several solo albums were recorded while still serving as Ray's band leader, which must have been a very busy role at that point. Ray was like one of the biggest musicians in the world. So you can hear Hank playing on several very notable Ray Charles records, including Ray Charles at Newport, What Did I Say, Ray Charles in Person, and Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music, an album that I have long wanted to cover on this podcast. We'll see. So as I said, this record, We Got a Good Thing Going, is his 13th solo album, uh, not including a greatest hits album that's already been released at this point. And this is his second album for Kudu slash CTI. His first 11 solo records came out in Atlantic, where he was signed because of the Ray Charles connection. All right, so I've got a game we're going to play real quick before we listen to this next song. There are seven studio musicians on this record who have been previously featured in at least one I'd buy that for a dollar episode. And I want y'all to guess which one has been on the most previous episodes. Wow. Okay. So real quick, we have, wait, did I count that wrong? There's okay. (laughs) Six, sorry, not seven. There's six (laughs) musicians. We have Phil Krause on vibes, George Benson on guitar, Richard T on electric piano and organ, Bernard Purdy on drums, Arthur Jenkins on percussion, and Ron Carter on bass. I would think I'm torn between Ron Carter and Bernard Purdy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's not Bernard Purdy. And Ron Carter's insane prolificness makes me lean towards him. Yeah. Taylor, do you have any? Taylor, do you want to weigh in or do you want to sit down? I'm not going to even weigh in for this because... I don't listen to every single episode, unfortunately. Well, you can just take a random guess then. What are my options again? <laughs> uh, Phil Krause, George Benson, Richard T., Bernard Purdy, Arthur Jenkins, and Ron Carter. Any name. Okay, I'll say, I'm going to say Bernard Purdy since you guys said it wasn't him. All right. Yep, and I think Jeremy and I are going with both going with Ron Carter. Okay. Everyone's wrong. <laughs> it was actually Richard T., Oh, oh, T is we that have, Richard T E E? That's right. He has been on a lot, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. From what I could remember, and 
Dig Up. He was featured on Aretha Franklin's Let Me In Your Life, Roberta Flack's Feel Like Making Love, Kenny Loggins' Celebrate Me Home, and Cheryl Lynn's Self-Titled. Wow. Believe it or not, Bernard Purdy has only been featured twice, Cheryl Lynn and Aretha Franklin, and Ron Carter has only been featured three times, Wes Montgomery, Johnny Hammond, and Bob James Touchdown. Hmm. Wow, Sean, you really keep track of the players. <laughs> yeah, I put more work into that than like probably most of the other elements of my notes this time around. He's, but. he's made a list and he's checked it five times. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be certain. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing he checked it one last time to make sure that it had six people and not seven right before he did it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, the other thing I wanted to note, this is the pretty standard CTI string section. I will not name all of the people right now, but most of the string players on this record were also on the Morgana King record that we recently featured. Oh, yeah. It's the Bob James connection there. Cool. And this is also all arranged by Don Sebesky, who we previously featured on the West Montgomery episode. He was a notable string arranger for the CTI label. Wasn't he on more than one episode, too? I thought for sure he was, but I double-checked that Discogs list, and it says that's the only other one he arranged on. Maybe he did some kind of production work elsewhere, but wasn't technically the arranger. I don't know. Um, Maybe our fans know. (laughs) That was Jeremy's selection, that Wes Montgomery, and he didn't even like the strings on it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I talked about how much I like Don Sebesky's CTI stuff. All right, well, that's all my info. You guys want to hear this second song and then move on to our next record? Let it rip. All right, so this is an actual Christmas song that we're going to hear now, and it even sounds like a Christmas song. This is Mel Torme's classic, The Christmas Song, which I think we've featured this song before, right? That's on the Nat King Cole record. We didn't really... I think Trevor... Is that the is that Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I think Trevor did play that on our previous Christmas. I just want to know right. what horror movie this is connected to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. None that I know of. I mean, maybe, maybe it's in, what was it? Black Christmas. Is that slasher movie? That movie's great. Maybe. Maybe. We'll just assume it was. Okay. Here is the Christmas song. Side a track four.
That was some schmaltzy sex, Sean. I won't lie. It was schmaltzy, but it was also incredibly expressive, which was something that Hank Crawford was really known for. He had a lot of soul in the way that he played. It wasn't about shredding notes. It was about putting a whole lot of emotion into a single note, which has been imitated to death at this point. And most people, it's an instant no for them when they hear that kind of saxophone playing. But I think it's great. I think it fits perfectly for these schmaltzy Christmas songs. And also, I just got to say, there's a bunch of other tracks on here that are just like straight up really good jazz funk. So you could buy this record just for the few non-Christmas songs that are dope and it'd still be well worth it. Yeah, I think especially since, you know, Kenny G put out a Christmas <laughs> album in the mid-90s. I, I, remember, uh, Norm Mc- I remember Norm MacDonald's joke about that. Hey, happy birthday, Jesus. Hope you like crap. well jeremy i think you're next and why is he next do you want to reveal this why why is jeremy next in the order how did this come about (laughs) (laughs) it was a very considered and tactful decision on our part by playing the game of rock paper scissors (laughs) highly democratic well since i won with my scissors of doom, I... You cut sh- my Christmas paper. I cut your Christmas <laughs> wrapping. <laughs> I have brought Jose Feliciano's self-titled album, and I'm not going to play Feliz Navidad, because you've already heard it. It's one of the top 20 Christmas songs ever played, probably just behind Mariah Carey or whatever, and... But I wanted to highlight that Jose is a dope-ass guitar player. So I'm going to start with We Three Kings and deal with it.
Jeremy, thinking back on this and your previous Christmas selections, it occurs to me that you... Picking up on a theme, huh? Yeah, the, uh, virtuoso guitarist. <laughs> yes. You had Leona Boyd, John Fahey. There, I can't remember what the other one was uh, the second year, but we got Jose Feliciano here now. Yeah, it's a thing for me. Uh, your other gonna... pick was what, Tijuana Christmas? So like oh, yeah, very yeah. not soft acoustic oh. guitar, but <laughs> that's right. Maybe that was uh, last year. <laughs> that was a pure nostalgia pick, but yeah, uh, Jose Feliciano. Uh, if you're like me, you might have only known him from Feliz Navidad, and then a few years ago, I stumbled on his album Feliciano exclamation mark. And I have that one. Yeah, I I just like was looking through it and then, you know, looked at the back. I'm like, oh, this is Feliz Navidad guy. And he does a cover of uh, Light My Fire. Mm-hmm. I think that was a hit. Yeah, it was a I big hit. That's pr- I had no idea. It's great. And yeah, so I picked up the record and yeah, it's got a bunch of acoustic covers on it. And I was like, whoa, this dude shreds. So then I actually got this Jose Feliciano Christmas album because the dude shreds. That he does. Well, I'll tell you a tiny little just nugget about him. He is from Puerto Rico and moved to America as a youngster to Spanish Harlem in New York City. And he is a shredder on the guitar, specifically because he, well, he taught himself accordion as a kid. Then he taught himself guitar and was playing like all day, every day, just wood shedding nonstop. Then as a teenager, he attended the light the lighthouse school for the blind oh yeah he's blind i did not know that also and he was trained by harold morris who was a student of andre segovia who if if you don't know who that is he's like one of the all-time great guitar players to ever touch a guitar and very much in the style that we heard in the song of kind of classical finger-picking kind of thing. One of the all-time greats forever and ever. True. He's also a big fan of Wes Montgomery, and I also didn't know, came up in the Greenwich Village scene (laughs) with, like, Bob Dylan and Karen Dalton and all those, like, folkies. Richie Havens. Richie Havens. More and more, yeah, I feel like growing up, you know, you hear about that if you're into music and history of music, you hear the three or four names that you think are the Greenwich scene, and then you learn more and more people. I guess people were flocking there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, like, if you didn't come up singing in church or playing in the Greenwich Village scene, like, what were you even doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's apparently one time where he was in Greenwich Village playing a show and he was doing an impression of Bob Dylan and found out Bob Dylan was in the room at the show. Amazing. I'm sure Bob, Oops. well, actually, never mind. I was going to say, I'm sure he loved it. And I was like, I don't know, actually. He could have probably also, I could also see him throwing a huge tantrum about it. 
it, it could go one way or the other. It probably <laughs> yeah. Yeah. depends on the, yeah. the, his mood that day. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. So that's all I'm going to tell you about, Jose, for now. We're going to rip another track. It came upon a midnight clear. And, oh, I did want to say about the last one, I like the We Three Kings song because it's one of very few Christmas songs that's in a minor key. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like, pippy poppy happy time. And it's got, yeah, We Three Kings kind of has like a dark yeah. what child? to it. What child is this is like that? Yeah. yeah. Growing up, the version of We Three Kings that was on the Christmas collection that we had in my household, I apparently would insist I, that was my favorite song. I loved that minor key melody. I described it as such at the age of three and four. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I would insist that like all the lights be dimmed, you know, and we and everyone had to be quiet because I had to hear We Three Kings. Wow. That's a vibe check. Heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we are net. What what are we going to hear again? Remind us. It came upon a midnight clear. <laughs> side two, track five. You're all speechless, aren't you? It's just so I'm moving. Just, I'm so chill. I'm so sedated, yeah. It's yeah, <laughs> I'm lulled into a peaceful silence. There's a Christmas haze around me. Mm-hmm. Then Jose succeeded. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> let's a- uh, keep this holly jolly train rolling, shall <laughs> yeah, we? Yeah, let's pick it up a little bit. <laughs> all right. I think uh, I think Taylor. I think your selection, yeah, is gonna get the party yeah. rolling. But you know, I, we asked you on because you, I don't want to put you on the spot if this isn't the case. But aren't you a little bit of a connoisseur of Christmas music? Oh yeah, big time. I love Christmas music. I have been collecting Christmas music and put it, making Christmas mixes for probably fifteen years. 
yeah so i don't i just yeah i always look forward to this time of year because i just really like it uh, how often while buying christmas music at a record store have you been subjected to weird looks or comments from the clerks hmm not too often hmm Okay. Why do you give just, people weird looks when they buy records for me? Christmas records for me? Well, there's been a few times where I've bought Christmas records not very close to Christmas, uh-huh. and every time that that happens, I feel I feel very judged for the experience. <laughs> you gotta buy them off season. That's when you get the good ones. Yeah, Come it's like on. buying a co- you buy a coat in the summer and you buy a bathing That's suit. That's what in I'm saying. Winter. Hello. They're the ones that are crazy. <laughs> Plus, like when we were discussing this, when we were trying to pick, I was trying to pick um, a record for this episode. I was very difficult because I think it was too close to Christmas and all of the Christmas records were so expensive. That's mm-hmm. my theory. But um, anyway, we are going to, yeah, pick it up. I got to sell off our couches um, and hear Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee off her album. Merry Christmas from Brenda Lee from 1964 on DECA. Yeah. Let's do that right now. They kick it right off. Side A, track one. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Rockin' around the Christmas tree Let the Christmas spirit ring Later we'll have some pumpkin pie And we'll do some caroling You will get a sentimental feeling When you hear voices singing Let's be jolly Let the halls with bottles of party care how many times i hear that song in department stores or out in public through the months of uh, i don't know september through january at this point i'm still gonna love it that's a great song it's so good it's so good yeah i love it too and you know what she was only 13 when she recorded that whoa, whoa. What in the isn't that what? unreal <laughs> wow yeah that i had no idea yeah so Brenda Lee was born in 1944. This song came out actually in 1958. Uh, eight. Yeah, so she was just about to turn 14. She was 13. And um, the song did not actually chart until after her 1960 hit, I'm Sorry, 
which you I don't know if you guys have heard. It's like sort of a crossover country pop, country to pop mm. hit. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. But then the song went became very popular and actually is now the fifth best selling Christmas song of all time. So the this album that it's on was released much later. Yeah, sixty four. So it would have come out six years later. But um, I think everything else on the record was original to the record. I'm not quite sure though. Came out years later when years she later. was twenty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. But isn't I just love her voice? It, I love all the little like vocal pops and breaks that she does. It's just such a good song. The band is just incredible on it too. I always yeah. love the guitar tone and the piano in the background. I guess the guitarists are Hank Garland and Harold Bradley. That song was written by Johnny Marks, who also wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Holly Jolly Christmas. So it was just destined to become a hit. Yeah. Well, and those are uh, those are both Nashville A-Team guys that you mentioned, right, Peter? Yeah, it looks because I see Buddy Harmon's on drums, and I know he's Nashville A-Team. So, yeah, these are... Yeah, a lot of Prendelly's stuff, especially this, like, early you know, the uh, 50s and 60s stuff has a country flavor to it. Even when she's doing more rock-oriented stuff, you can kind of tell the country influence going on. Yeah. But I just want to say, for my money, Brenda Lee is, like, one of the great unheralded singers in a lot of ways. Like, the people that know, know, obviously. But she's this, like, really interesting, hidden-in-plain-sight person because everyone's heard that song, but so many people don't realize she's got this whole other career and just kills it on album after album, and they're all cheap. Mm-hmm. Like, what a talent. Yeah. She's actually the fourth biggest, or had the four, uh, most chart hits after Ray Charles, the, the Beatles, and Elvis in the 60s. She had 47 chart hits. Wow. Yeah. All when she was under 20 years old. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Hidden in plain sight. Yeah. And then and half the time that I mention her, people are like, oh, yeah, Peggy Lee. Oh, right. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Not to be confused. It's funny because I've been wanting to do a a different Brenda Lee record on the pod for a long time and kind of always figured, you know, part of the angle would be like, she's so much more than just the Christmas music, but it's totally fine starting with the Christmas music is still dope, even though it's overplayed. And like, please just use that as a gateway. Buy her other albums. They're all cheap. They're all worth it. Yeah. And of course, we have to mention that iconic scene in Home Alone where Kevin you know, creates the illusion of a Christmas party by hooking up, you know, mannequins to strings and dancing while the song is playing on the, um, while he's playing this song. Yeah. He used, he used one of my products. That oh, was yes. the first advertisement yeah. for Peter Cook's toy division. <laughs> <laughs> the Michael Jordan cardboard cutout on the train. Officially approved by your airness himself. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, for, I don't know. As a music supervisor, that's just like such a perfect use of a song, I think. And an entire song, like that song goes through the entire scene. Yeah. They, yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome when the bulk of a song actually gets featured so often, probably especially with the amount of work you have to do to secure licensing mm-hmm. for a song to then see what sometimes 10 to 15 seconds of it used. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I would say most of the time the uses are like under 30 seconds. Have you ever worked with Christmas music? I haven't. I think I would be really good at it. But I don't know if I want to do a Christmas movie. Sounds kind of, I don't know. There's not very many good Christmas movies anymore. (laughs) What if you um, got offered just like a super lucrative job doing music for all the Hallmark Christmas movies? Oh my God. 
Just all of them. Like I just, you know, disappeared into that forever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How much would they have to pay you? (laughs) Man. Before you answer, you get a pet lion too. (laughs) (laughs) You don't forget. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I don't know. A lot. We'll just say that. But, um. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking offers. (laughs) But yeah, that song's great. I don't know what else to say. Don't say anything else. Play the next song. All right, cool. Well, we're going to hear another song off that record, uh, which is called Marshmallow World. And um, it's not technically a Christmas song. It's just sort of a wintry celebration song. So, yeah, Marshmallow World by Brenda Lee. Side B, track three. It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's the time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it the whole year round Now those are marshmallow clouds being friendly In the arms of the evergreen trees And the sun is red like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze Oh, the world is your snowball See how it grows That's how it grows Whenever it snows The world is your snowball Just for a soul So get up and roll it along It's a yum, yummy world Made for sweethearts Take a walk with your favorite guy It's a sugar date What a spring is late In winter it's a marshmallow world It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's the time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it the whole year round Those are marshmallow clouds being friendly In the arms of the evergreen tree and the sun is red like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze Oh, the world is your snowball See how it grows, that's how it grows Whenever it snows, the world is your snowball Just for a song, you better get up and roll it along Oh, it's a yum, yummy world made for sweethearts Take a walk with your face that is just the type of agnostic song we need in the war on Christmas. <laughs> Very pleasant, yeah. though. It yeah. is one of those like Christmas classics at this point that when you listen to it, it doesn't actually really mention Christmas. It's just the imagery fits in. Yeah, I'm a sucker for those that type of backing vocal group, too. Um, mm, definitely. Yeah. So good. Um, and her phrasing is real fun. It's just a great song. So I was more familiar with the Darling Love version from the Phil Spector Christmas oh, album. Okay. But I was just reading that that song had apparently been kind of a standard for about like 12, 13 years before that. Bing Crosby first made it famous and a couple other crooners did versions of it before this. Did not know that. To me, this is like all Brenda Lee's. Yeah, and being a song that I'm less familiar with, it, it somehow allowed me to even more appreciate her voice just like a nice marshmallow 
<laughs> yeah. Cool. Toasty marshmallow on a cold day. So was this whole record recorded earlier, or was it just the single, and then they recorded the other songs to round out the album? Yeah, I think that's the case. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that I've seen any of these other songs anywhere else, like on a 45 or anything. The whole record is great. It's solid all the way through. Yeah. She keeps it pretty up-tempo, so um, she knows her strength. It's a good party album. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to pull people out of the muck and mire that can be the holiday season when you're just overloaded and overwhelmed put on this record and you'll be singing a new tune yeah and they're all secular too which i feel like is pretty kind of rare for country singers i feel like they usually tend to get into more christian songs yeah those country albums can be pretty heavy yeah so these ones i think (laughs) i'm looking at the track list i think they're all yeah all secular tracks so we did uh tammy's christmas Uh with peter the one here there's yeah that one's a little heavy-handed at times too it's great though Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah but it is yeah you're right it's the other direction well speaking of my selections is it my turn it's your turn peter (laughs) yay Give us the gift. That keeps on giving. So I have chosen a Christmas 45 from the Drifters. Ooh. But Peter, you must be confused. It's not our Patreon 45 Christmas episode. What happened? Oh, do you want me to... You, you, you're going to call me out on this still, aren't you? <laughs> I kind of realized as I was doing it, I was like, I'm calling Peter out. I didn't need to do this. You can ignore me and move on if you want. <laughs> I, For some reason, I, I got it in my head that I, okay, you know, I, I don't I don't feel like buying more Christmas records this holiday season to feature on the podcast, but I had the Bing Crosby Christmas album that you see everywhere, and I was thinking I'd just do that, and then I seeing everyone posting it on Instagram, you hear it everywhere. I'm like, this is not underappreciated in any way. And I don't think we can reassess this. Even if I play the deeper cuts, I, and then I found I didn't even have the album. I don't know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled a Sean Hartman on that one. Yeah. It's a wild ride there, Peter. <laughs> but then I remembered, Hey, I have a drifters Christmas single and it's White Christmas. so and We're only featuring two songs, so why not? Exactly. It all worked out for me. So how about we listen to the Drifters version of White Christmas and come back and we'll, we'll talk about it. Better speed up your turntable to 45 there, Jeremy. <laughs> Just like the ones I used to know Where those streets are Listen And children listen To hear Sleigh bells in the snow The snow Then I, I, I am dreaming Of a white Christmas Christmas card I write May your days, may your days, may your days be merry and bright 
song is also in home alone yeah that exact version yeah. is in home alone yeah <laughs> kevin McAllister is shaving and he's yeah. sing- singing into the comb and then he puts on the aftershave and the iconic yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes no sense because aftershave would not hurt if he had not shaved i assumed it was like the existential horror of like Realizing that, <laughs> that he's he alone, becoming an adult. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you've thought since, since you first saw it. <laughs> yeah. Am I off? Is there? that theme running throughout the movie? Is there like other points where you feel like he's just succumbing? Oh, to I know existential which one. Tread? The one where he's walking, walking home with the groceries, and they break. Yes, that's true. <laughs> wow, I'll never see that movie the same again. Did we uncover the undertone? Yeah, the wet bandits were stealing his youth. <laughs> the subtext of Home Alone. This is this is like the shining and all the theories about the horrors that of home ownership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling unprepared for adulthood. Oh man. Yeah, I realized when I made my selection and I started doing some research, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, both Taylor and I have picked Songs that were prominently used in Home Alone. Uh, but I think they're worth reevaluating. And totally. especially, I, I think, with uh, looking into the Drifters and this era of the Drifters, especially because most people know the Drifters as the smooth soul group from the early 60s. Ben E. King was a member. And they have the, you know, the songs This Magic Moment, Under the Boardwalk, up on the roof, all these big hits. Um, but this was an entirely different group of singers here that, uh, led by, you've got the tenor that you heard in there, Clyde McFadder. And he had formed the Drifters in 1953. He was backed by Bill Pinckney, Willie Furby, and the brothers Gerhardt and Andrew Thrasher. And they were big on the R&B charts. They had songs like Ruby Baby and Money Honey, and, you know, to a, a wider audience, a lot of these songs went unnoticed at the time. Uh, they were big on the R&B charts, but they didn't cross over. And uh, Clyde McFadder, we actually did a, for our Patreon followers, we did do a Patreon episode about him a while back. Uh, Sean, as the person who introduced me to Clyde McFadder, it, when we worked together at a record store, I uh, Incredible voice, unsung soul hero, wouldn't you say, Sean? Mm-hmm, definitely. And while they were on tour in 1953, 
Clyde McBatter asked fellow member Bill Pinckney to write an arrangement of White Christmas, which of course had been a big hit for Bing Crosby in the 1940s. And he, you know, Clyde wants it for the Drifters. And they based it off a 1948 version by a group called the Ravens, which were a pioneering R&B group that featured a bass vocalist named Jimmy Ricks as the first lead and then followed by a falsetto tenor. So they uh, Pinkney jazzed up the vocals and opened the song with his own deep baritone. And then Clyde took the high part that you hear, the, the top tenor part. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you're hearing that stark contrast between those two vocalists and in february of 1954 the drifters recorded white christmas it was uh, released that november of course for the holiday season and the song became a big r&b hit number five in 1954 but its popularity mainly remained in the black community until it was featured in home alone in that iconic scene that's what actually helped usher this version into the greater public consciousness. So, yeah, so I thought there, that was Jeremy. interesting. I had no... Yeah. <laughs> so they... <laughs> I didn't say there's anything wrong with it. It was also prominently featured in the Tim Allen movie, The Santa Claus. Oh. Correct. <laughs> but that was after Home Which, Alone. Yeah, that was uh, mid-90s. And, and funny enough, when Taylor, when you came on for the Carpenters episode a few years ago, I remember... At the top of the episode, we go, Sean took a good amount of time talking about how terrible the sequel <laughs> the Santa right. Claus, to the Santa Claus is. I remember that. We, we, we almost became the movie podcast at that moment. Yeah. We also established recently Tim Allen's fondness for snow. Yeah, different kind of snow. <laughs> uh, snow Nose candy snow. Yeah, it really is a marshmallow, marshmallow world, world I was Tim just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, oh, it was, the the Drifters story is interesting after that because then Clyde McFadder gets inducted into the army like late that year, 1954, and when his tour is up, he chose to embark on a solo career and he, he had uh some success with that, but he was only 39 when he di- when he died in 1972, and of course, yeah, obviously the Drifters kept recording and you know, that pe- many people, as I said, know the, the later version with Ben E. King fronting the Drifters. Uh, but yeah, I I love Clyde McFadder's voice is so unique. The high mm-hmm. tenor. Yeah. It's just, it's it always kind of jumps out at, at me like I just makes the songs stand on their own. The B-side is The Bells of St. Mary's, which I learned is a 1917 popular song and it's actually come to be associated with christmas even though it in and of itself is not really a christmas song i think they mentioned autumn in it there was a once again a uh, in 1945 there was a film of the same name by bing crosby and ingrid bergman and there's a in that film there's the inclusion of a christmas pageant and so where the song is featured so that's kind of uh helped establish it as a Christmas, a holiday song, along with the fact that it's included on this as the B-side to this Drifter's single. So let's go ahead and listen to the bells of St. Mary's. Side B, track only. (laughs) (laughs) 
Typical 45 fashion, the B-side is not (laughs) nearly as good as the A-side. Occasionally, it's the opposite, but most of the time, all the money is put on the A-side. They know it's the hit. They know it's a better song. And in this case, yeah. The the first song, I just want to say, Drifter's White Christmas, probably one of my, like, top five favorite Christmas songs, that specific version. It's just perfect. It's so good. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Bells of St. Mary, it's fine. It's a autumnal 105-year-old song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't feel like it's like showcasing their talent as much. And it's just not catchy. No, that too. No, that's, I, that's the thing is, I've obviously, obviously I've listened to the A-side many times and put on the B-side a handful of times and it, I never remember what it sounds like. Yeah, not a memorable one. It feels like people in 1954, like extending an olive branch to the older generation then. Which, yeah, that's something that seems to happen again and again is it's almost like, uh, here's our family pleaser track. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're making this new radical music, but uh, uh, maybe my grandma can like this one. (laughs) It's for you, grandma. This one's for you, grandma. Yeah. Cool. Well, well I, I didn't have many options, being that I picked a 45. <laughs> we'll stop bragging on you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I actually didn't know the whole thing about Home Alone resurrecting the popularity, so that's that's a cool angle. I just assumed that song has always been ingrained in culture because it's been in so many movies since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're finding out Home Alone goes deep on subtext and revives the career of long forgotten musicians yeah speaking of christmas movies has anybody else started watching christmas movies yet oh yeah definitely all right what what have you watched so far what's the taylor list okay well i was just home visiting my family for two weeks so i ended up watching a lot of crap but um i saw spirited it wasn't as bad as i thought it would be um i did watch home alone that's my i am like a huge fan of that movie I've probably seen it more than any oh, other movie yeah. in the world. Yeah. Home Alone 1 and 2 are like every yeah. year watches. In I don't my know. House. Like Macaulay Culkin to me is like, I think will always be like the biggest movie star in my head just because of like how big of a thing he was when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he carries the whole fucking thing. It's so, it's oh, so nuts. Anyway, so I watched that. I love that movie. Um, I watched the new Christmas story sequel which I also th- was better than I thought it would be. That's the Christmas story. Christmas is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Let's see. 
I'm getting the really bad ones out of the way. So, well, I mean, I don't know if they're bad, it's, but unaccompanied minors was disappointing. <laughs> Do you, you guys ever see that? No. Yeah, it's bad. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Oh, I watched Edward Scissorhands. Nice. Which is, you know, Christmas adjacent. Yeah, it's close enough. Mm-hmm. It ends on Christmas, so. That's how I feel about my favorite Macaulay Culkin film, The Good oh, Son. I love The Good Son. I have the novelization of it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You're, you, you go harder than I do. Yeah. Baby Elijah baby Elijah, and baby Macaulay like duking it out on a cliff. That's so good. <laughs> yes. It's so, good. <laughs> it's so nuts. I, I remember when the previews for that were all over television and i was just like that, this movie looks bonkers <laughs> when i was like 13 years old it's like macaulay culkin's a serial killer yeah but that movie came out i feel like it was i mean it was what like 94 uh 93 or 93. 94 okay so i was like nine i remember being like sort of really like traumatized by it because you know kevin McAllister's like saying you know dropping f-bombs and stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're yeah. not supposed to be doing that <laughs> yeah but um that's a yeah. fun one i haven't seen any christmas movies yet you haven't even watched eyes wide shut yet no not yet i saved okay. that for christmas eve nice. um, <laughs> but i did get invited to go see violent night which was some new movie where Santa Claus like kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Starring what's his name yeah. from Stranger Things. Um, Rolling Stone, not like I really pay attention to I really don't like reviews, but they called it the chlamydia of Christmas movies. <laughs> Be avoiding that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you got invited to see that? Yeah, I got invited to that. And my response was that I told my friend, I want to have seen that movie without actually having to sit through it at any point. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, do we have anything else we want to put in people's minds or hearts for the holiday season before we get out of here? Did I already heap praise onto you, Taylor, for the music and reservation dogs? Uh, I don't know. Can I? But you can. I'm going to heap some praise on you because I <laughs> cried twice. Aww. Both when like music things came on in the most recent season. So you knocked it out of the park there, FYI. Cool. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. I will, um, I'll pass it on to Tiffany Anders, the music supervisor I work with as well. Um, which, yeah. oh, I want to know it. The way you brought, I love Little Wings. Mm-hmm. And he did, you know, the look at what the light did now. And then when it came back the second time, I was like, what? And it was the the first one, I believe, was the cover. Yeah. And the second one was the original. Yeah, the Feist version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that one got me. And then the one... Uh, Devil Town when that came in. Daniel Johnson. The Bright yeah. Eyes cover. That was the Bright Eyes yeah. version though in the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, that's and right. I was just like I just wanted to like fist pump when that came on and yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's great because there was one episode I was watching where the guy tribal officer was on drugs. Uh-huh. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, 
I swear this is Plantasia. And I was trying, this is the Mort Garson Plantasia. And I'm like, well, I can message Taylor because I couldn't find anything. <laughs> yeah. in a quick Google search. And Taylor's like, oh, yeah, that is Plantasia you're mm-hmm. hearing. You like knew the specific track right offhand. <laughs> yep. Uh, music to soothe the savage snake plant. Um, yeah. That's my favorite music episode of the season. That, yeah, I imagine that was a fun one to do. Yeah, and I just like love the Sturgill Simpson at the end with like the cop walking off oh. and kind of doing this sort of like yeah. metaphoric, like walking off into the sunset sort of thing, you know, um, like an old anti-Western. But yeah, I love I love all that. Yeah, yeah, that was great too. Yeah, it's such a, I've just, you know, I love that. Sh- I love working on that show. It's, you know, the exact type of show, you know, I've loved, I've dreamed of working on and I'm happy that it gets as much, I'm, you know, love as it does that you guys love it. Yeah. For those who have not seen it, check out Reservation Dogs. Uh, available on Hulu mm-hmm. and FX, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. And it's going to come back for a third season. Yes. Is there anything else you've been working on lately other than your uh, regular radio show? Oh, yes. My radio show, which is on NTS Radio. It's called The Windmills of Your Mind. It's on every fourth Thursday, and it might actually TBD, but um, it might be actually coming or going to be airing. I might be doing it twice a month in 2023. Um, so we'll see if that works out. But um, other projects, mostly stuff I have, you know, I can't announce yet. So may- maybe ne- by the next time I come on, if you'll ha- still have me. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I'll have other I don't, things to I don't foresee this. <laughs> I don't foresee this ending anytime soon. Yeah. yeah, you really crossed the line on this Christmas episode. We're very disappointed. Right. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> yeah, I I own Home Alone, not you. Right. <laughs> yeah, you've been stepping on Peter's territory yeah. a lot lately. And, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thank you, Taylor. Thank you, listeners. If you want to learn more about Clyde McFadder, head on over to patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Got bonus episodes there where we talk about all kinds of 45 single content. Including a whole nother Christmas episode. <laughs> that's that's worth Just mentioning. 45. So if you didn't get enough Christmas, join the Patreon. Or if you're already on it, go listen to it. And, you know consider consider joining the patreon as a christmas gift to us and then we will gift you just oodles of bonus content tis the season go join it now well since we leaned in so heavily to not messing with tradition at the ah, top yes yes should, should we explain <laughs> that yes there, we, we have an unbroken tradition to which we have 100% adhered and never missed of ending the show with a John Denver Christmas track from Rocky Mountain Christmas. Yeah, we definitely did that last season at the yeah. end. <laughs> Don't go now, listen. If you, uh, if you dig below the whitewashed headlines that Jeremy is trying to throw out here. So the first Christmas episode... We went out on John Ten for Christmas. The second Christmas episode a year later, we went out on John Ten for Christmas. But this year, Jeremy prefaced it by saying that you don't fuck with tradition because we're just going to always play John Ten for Christmas at the end. And then year three rolls around and not a single one of us remembered this tradition. (laughs) (laughs) 
and but we went right out after on, we recorded. <laughs> we went out on Willie Nelson. Yeah, we went out on Willie Nelson instead. But right after we, we recorded close. that, I was feeling you left. I was feeling Christmassy and nostalgic. I'm like, I'm gonna go back and listen to our other Christmas episodes. And there's Jeremy saying that you don't fuck with traditions. So I had to make sure that we bring it back, as I am, as everybody knows, the protector and restorer of sacred Christmas traditions. So. And what are we going to go on on this year, Jeremy? As one who never forgets a Christmas tradition, I will make sure I delete last year's Christmas episode before <laughs> any listeners have a chance to check my work. And I will maintain that I have always done this. And this year, for our tradition of ending on a John Denver track, we are going to go out on Christmas for Cowboys Side A, track six, you don't fuck with tradition. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, happy holidays, dear listeners. My name is Peter Cook. Thank you for listening to I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name's Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Taylor Rowley. All in saddles, we spend Christmas Day Driving cattle over snow-covered plains All of the good gifts given today Ours is the sky and the wide open range Back in the cities, they have different Football and eggnog Christmas parades I'll take the blanket I'll take the reins It's Christmas for cowboys Wide open plains A campfire for warmth Stop for the night Stars overhead The Christmas tree lights The wind sings a hymn As we bow down to pray It's Christmas for cowboys And wide open